The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Oh, it's hard to keep track of everything that's going on in British politics since six o'clock yesterday. Over 30 British government ministers of various ranks have resigned. And the latest reports is that a delegation of those who remain have gone to Boris Johnson to tell him he has to go. And McAvoy, who is the executive editor of The Economist, thank you for joining us. Can you update us on what's going on, please? Yes, uh, I can, although it is a minute-by-minute calculation. I think if uh, someone calculated, we'd really got to almost half of the numbers of Tory, uh, the Tory members who would either call for Boris Johnson uh, to go or were resigning. Uh, at the moment, however, there is one development which I think changes the light a bit and extends Boris Johnson's hopes of staying at least a few more days, and it's that this 1922 committee, the backbench committee, has just decided not to change the rules to allow a second no confidence oh. vote in Boris Johnson. That is literally in the last uh, last minute. So I think what will happen there is that that committee, which is very powerful in a way, it sort of sets the rules for replacing leaders. And what will happen is all those places, there's 18 places on that executive, will be up for grabs. So there'll be a kind of proxy war between those who want to change the rules and will apply on those grounds and not. Why does it matter for Boris Johnson? Well, the reason that he was, I think, still saying today at the committee this afternoon, they had a very bloody committee, he got very badly beaten up by a, a lot of the ministers and MPs. But he didn't give the impression that he was going to go today. And I think that may be the reason. Now, of course, he could get back and find there's a delegation and uh, change his mind. But that's the thinking as we speak. Yeah, what about the reports of this delegation, including some of his senior ministers, including his newly appointed Chancellor of the Exchequer, been part of it? Yeah, that is uh, probably the, the shortest-lived chancellorship, obviously the second most powerful uh, job in the government, which would then you know, result, I think, with less than a day of calling for the Prime Minister to go. So we are in very unusual territory here. Now, Dima Zahawi, of course, this is reported, but it seems credible that he is going to be one of those telling the Prime Minister he should move along. He is positioning himself, and so are others. I mean, we saw that very strong speech to the House by Sajid Javid. The Health Secretary also had served as Chancellor for Boris Johnson, saying, up with this, we cannot put. And also just saying that the party and the whole government has been dragged through the mire and that this is Boris Johnson's fault. So I think he's really reached the stage where it is terminal, but you never really know quite how long with Boris Johnson will eke it out. And his instinct is always to fight to the last. Many other prime ministers would have simply taken a hint and been gone and been walking out this evening to this Sunday evening and saying goodbye at Electon. Could still happen, but he, he likes to slug it out. And I'll get to back to you with that in a minute, but I actually want to play some of the audio of the day and we could have taken so much uh, from what happened today. But let's hear a little bit of Sajid Javid telling MPs why he quit as health secretary. Treading the tightrope between loyalty and integrity has become impossible in recent months. And Mr Speaker, I will never risk losing my integrity. I also believe a team is as good as its team captain and that a captain is as good as his or her team. So loyalty must go both ways. The events of recent months have made it increasingly difficult to be in that team. It's not fair on ministerial colleagues to go out every morning 
defending lines that don't stand up and don't hold up. It's not fair on my parliamentary colleagues who bear the brunt of constituents' dismay in their inboxes and on their doorsteps in recent elections. And it's not fair on Conservative members and voters who rightly expect better standards from the party they supported. That's an interesting point, Anne, isn't it? It's not just that Boris Johnson lies, and we know that he lies regularly and doesn't give a damn about it, but that it seems that an awful lot of his people now are fed up who've been sent out to lie on his behalf. Yes, I mean, I think I'm, I'm always a little more, more cautious about the word lie. You can use it if you like. I mean, I think in Boris Johnson's case, it's sometimes that he has, should we say, a different view of what it is to tell the truth or what he's obliged to say. And I think what has happened now is that not only do people feel that they've been sent out to, to lie, but sometimes they've just been sent out believing that number 10 thought that a, an account was correct, and particularly when it comes to this, this dreadful story about Chris, uh, Christopher Pincher, the, the whip who is accused of uh, sexual harassment and of a very serious nature. It's also why did number 10 not do the due diligence? Why did Boris Johnson perhaps not want to know the full story? So I think there's that as well. If, if it was as simple as, well, we caught Boris Johnson out in a lie, we're not having it. But I think it's much more to do with his style and the way that he uses and deploys information and the way that he leads. I, mean, I don't want to be overly cynical. <laughs> so, well, there are quite a lot of people who thought, well, you know, he told half-truths and he got through the Brexit debate, but he had something about the way he did it that was compelling and a lot of voters believed him. Now they don't think that. That, to me, is the big difference. But isn't it the case with Pincher that uh, he did things that were wrong, Johnson knew about it, denied mm. that he knew about it, and then also seems to have made something of a joke of it all. Yes, I mean, I think that's true. I think there's been generally, when it came to the whips of a sexual harassment, sex pest at Westminster, a kind of unfortunate, almost sort of jokey tone about it. This was not something I think that was taken as a serious thing. I'd be surprised if occasionally the odd things that happens, uh, happens elsewhere. It certainly happens in Scotland, it probably happens in Dublin too. But I think there has been a change and a sea change in the way political parties are expected to deal with these things. And in this case, most of all in this case, but there have been some others as well, it does appear that if the numbers were prepared to march through the lobbies and support the government, there was a looking away from anything that was unpleasant. You might say, you know, it is that, what is it, you know, it's a straw that breaks the camel's back. There's plenty much else going on uh, wrong with the government and with its rather chaotic policy setting. But in a way, it's the big traps, isn't it? It's the big elephant traps that people sometimes fall into. It's not the kind of tripwires of difficult Northern Ireland agreements or the economy. Or, it's something that was in plain sight, that something needed to be done about this. Our former late Taoiseach Albert Reynolds once uh, bemoaned the fact that when he lost his power, he said, it's the little things that trip you up. Uh, Let's Mm -hmm. hear a little bit more of Sajid Javid's resignation speech. I have concluded that the problem starts at the top and I believe that is not going to change. And that means that it is for those of us in a position who have responsibility to make that change. I wish my cabinet colleagues... Well, and I, I can see they have decided to remain in the cabinet. They will have their own reasons. But it is, it is a choice. I know just how difficult that choice is. But let's be clear. Not doing something is an active decision. Yes, if you choose not to make a choice, you still have made a choice. So, why then, 
And do you think, is Boris Johnson clinging to power so desperately, given that he had 41% of his parliamentary party against him in the last vote of no confidence? But many of those who voted in his favour, 30 of them ministers of various ranks, have quit. Many are going to him, telling him he has to step down. Why is he hanging on so desperately? What does he think he could do if he somehow managed to survive in the job? I think often when politicians get into that, you know, into that do not resuscitate zone and leaders in particular, what they hope is that they can control the going on their own terms. They often, in the end, can't. And that's why you do get delegations suddenly turning up in your office. It's what happened to, to Margaret Thatcher. You know, it, has, it has happened this way for a number of leaders. Being Boris Johnson, it's happening very publicly. It's happening with a, a lot of Sturm and Drang and Sound and Fury. I would guess now, I mean, Boris Johnson is a highly intelligent man. And he, he knows that the game is up, no doubt. But he, there's a part of him that thinks, I'm not giving in to these people. They've, a lot of people have been out to get me. I'm not give, you know, going to give in. So he has that bullish quality that we saw at Prime Minister's questions today. And I suspect it's also a matter of, well, if I'm going to be dragged out of here, and he said I'd have to be, have to be carried out in a box, to which the old rejoinder was always, well, I'm sure that could be arranged. Um, so I think you now get into that mode where the power-seeking instinct makes you want to control the terms of your own exit. Usually you can't, but I, that's, I would imagine what is in his mind today why he's saying, well, I'm just going to get on with doing the job, which perfectly obviously can't do the job. That's gone. You know, he doesn't have the support. And in the end, some name or some number will push him over the edge. I'm Michael Voy, Executive Editor of The Economist. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Professor of Law, Queen's University, Belfast, Ifal Donoghue is with us as well. So what do you reckon the defenestration of Boris Johnson would mean for us here in Ireland? Could it be better the devil we know that his replacement could actually be worse when it comes to the protocol and Brexit implementations? Good evening, Matt. Well, it really does depend on what the Tory party go for. And there's there's not only the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, there's also the Human Rights Act Bill that's changing, the new Bill of Rights Bill. Um, there's the Legacies Bill. There's a huge amount of legislation before Parliament at the moment. Uh, and they're tied to different people. So the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill is very much a Liz Truss um, uh, po- policy. The Human Rights Bill or the new Bill of Rights is Dominic Rabb. So if either of them um, uh, follow him. I think it's unlikely to be Rab, but it could be Liz Truss. Then you're likely, I think, potentially to see a continuation. But Liz Truss was originally a Remainer, so it is also possible she might go with a let's reset because a lot of there is an argument at the moment that perhaps she was being she was introducing the bill because she knew Boris's days were limited, therefore she was getting in a position, she was showing she was hard on the EU. Um, if it is somebody entirely different, if it's someone like Sajid Javid or Rishi Sunak, uh, then it's a little more open. Um, neither of them have been particularly hardline um, as regards to the Northern Ireland Protocol or the Legacy Bill or the new Bill of Rights. So that leaves, I think, a, a much more open question uh, about how they would proceed in Northern Ireland, but also their view of the European Union. You might, I, I think you may have two different kinds of candidates. You might have the, I'm going to continue all Boris Johnson's 
policies, but I'm you know won't have his faults. And the I think we need the party to go a different direction and recess because it's been you know it hasn't been going well and we've been losing by elections. So I think it, it depends on which way do they try to continue on the policies of, of of the current administration because it also may depend who you know who is in the next cabinet and who's not in the next cabinet will also make a big big difference there as to what happens vis a vis. We're making the assumption, but I think it's a reasonable assumption that he's gone. There's, there's no way he's going to survive this. I mean, the, I mean, I think all, the cabinet is now. I think that's partly what the 1922 committee were giving the cabinet some time to, to persuade him to go himself. I mean, there, he wouldn't deny he was be uh, before the liaison committee this afternoon, and, and it was quite bruising. And he wouldn't deny the idea of calling a general election. I think that's very unlikely. He theoretically could go to the Queen and ask for that. Um, but I think that is extremely unlikely because uh, running an election on the basis of your own party not wanting you to be leader anymore <laughs> would be something quite remarkable to, to, to see. So, I mean, that he won't rule it out, yeah. but that's very unlikely. Professor Aoife O'Donoghue, thank you for joining us. And a listener says, and I think this sums it up, how can any of these Tory ministers talk about keeping their integrity when they have lied for and backed Johnson for months now? Months? Years. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.